Hi, I'm Patty Scalzo, and this is the radio broadcast of Shi'ar Jeshub, brought to you by the Church of Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut. Today, we will be continuing a sermon taught by my husband, Pastor Greg Scalzo, as part of the Heavenly Authority series. Pastor has been examining the kingship and messianic promises given to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and he reviewed the prophecies concerning the lineage of Messiah. When we left off last time, Pastor Greg had asked the question, why must the Messiah be one like us, a son of man? And he went into the book of Ruth to look at the biblical concept of the kinsman redeemer. Let's rejoin Pastor Greg. And that allowed the land then to stay in the clan because the person that was poor that had to sell the land had a kinsman redeemer, had a near relative that could redeem, buy back the land. And likewise, there was the leveret marriage. Uh, in the ancient world, in the hard times that they experienced, women were very dependent upon men because of the physical aspects of that world. And if a man died without children, without a male heir to help take care of the woman, there was a law that they had. It wasn't binding. The man could get out of it. But again, a brother, or if not a brother, a close relative, would then marry the woman and then have children for the dead brother in his name. And that's called the leveret marriage. And it was not absolute. They could take the sandal off and refuse to do it. That was a ritual they performed. In the book of Ruth, you have Naomi, who's a faithful Israelite woman, and her husband is a man of Bethlehem. He's of the tribe of Judah. And he takes Naomi and his two sons, and he goes into the land of Moab, the Gentile land, because of a famine in the land of Israel. And when they get there, her husband dies. Her two sons take Gentile wives. So she has two Gentile daughters-in-law. And then her two sons die after 10 years. And Naomi desires to go back to Judah, back to her own home country. And she tells the daughter-in-laws to go, each one to return to their mother's home. But one of the daughter-in-laws, Ruth, clings to Naomi. And she says in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16, Entreat me not to leave you, she's speaking to Naomi, her mother-in-law, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Your God shall be my God. Now, she's a Gentile, and she goes back. She loves Naomi. She loves the God of Israel. And she returns to Bethlehem, and in Bethlehem there's a wealthy relative of Naomi's husband. His name is Boaz. And he's a good man, a kind man. He helps them out, he aids them. And obviously Ruth and Boaz are attracted to each other. But there's a closer relative. Boaz is a more distant kinsman. There's one who's closer, 
who has this option, this right, to buy the land, to redeem the land from Naomi, and to marry Ruth. So Boaz meets with this closer kinsman, and they meet before the city elders, and the man refuses to redeem the land and buy it from Naomi because it means taking Ruth as his wife and perpetuating the name of the dead through his inheritance. And so then, once this closer relative says no, and he breaks it, he takes off the sandal, and he doesn't fulfill that duty, then the right of redemption falls to the next closest relative, who's Boaz. And Boaz marries, takes the Gentile Moab woman, Ruth, marries her, and we get the genealogy that Ruth bears him a son, Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. And we receive the lineage in Bethlehem of Judah to David. And Boaz, as the kinsman redeemer, though not the closest kinsman, is a type of Messiah. A close relative, one like us, one who comes in the flesh, the one to save us, the one to redeem us, the one that can buy us back to God, has to be one like us the one that can purchase mankind to God, and the price that he paid was the shedding of his own blood. That's why he must be a son of man. And God uses this clear lineage from David to tell us not only is he a son of man, but he's a son of David. Now, we saw with Aaron and the priesthood that just because God ordains authority just because he selects and chooses it does not mean that those in the lineage can mock God God is not trapped we saw with Eli the priest just because God establishes the priesthood through Aaron's sons Eli and his sons cannot get away with sinning and neither could the descendants of David even though God sets up the lineage from David through Solomon as the kings there are many chapters in the Bible, in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, where we see how the descendants of David, some were good men, and many others did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they went far astray. And God punished them, and the punishments fell upon Israel. God is not trapped by his appointments and his ordination. God always fulfills his promises. But those who were real descendants of David... Those who came from him were those who had like faith of David. Just like the true Jew is the one that comes from Abraham that has the like faith of Abraham. Our minds are too small if we should ever think we can play a game, a strategy game against God. God cannot be mocked. And one clear example of a king, a descendant of David, who mocked God is a man named Jeconiah, or Jehoiakim. He's the son of Jehoiakim. And he is the last king of Judah before the exile, except for his uncle Zedekiah, who Nebuchadnezzar comes in and sets up as a puppet king. He's the last king before the exile, and he is a descendant of Solomon. The kingship has gone from David to Solomon through many, many generations, and it ends up at the time of the Babylonian captivity in this one man, Jeconiah, Jehoiakim. He's also called, in a shortcut fashion, Kaniah, 
Jeconiah, Keniah. And we read about him in Jeremiah chapter 22. In Jeremiah chapter 22, as I live, says the Lord, though Keniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet on my right hand, even if he's the ring, the king was the ring that God would show forth of Israel, yet I would pluck you off. Just because God made the promise to David doesn't mean that David's descendants can say, well, God promised it to me and I can do anything I want to do. And that's important for leadership. If God calls you, if he ordains you, if he chooses you to do something for him, doesn't mean you can get away with anything you want to get away with. You say, well, God promised me. God will fulfill his promises, but God is very intelligent. He has a way of fulfilling his promises and still being able to pluck that signet ring off his finger. I would pluck you off, it says in verse 25, I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hand of those whose face you fear, the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of the Chaldeans. So I will cast you out, you and your mother who bore you, into another country where you were not born, and there you will die. But to the land to which they desire to return, there shall be no return. And that's what happens. He's taken into captivity, and he spends the rest of his life in Babylon. Verse 28, is this man Kaniah, a despised broken idol? a vessel in which is no pleasure? Why are they cast out, he and his descendants? So now, what's happening to him, God has said enough to the kings that have come from the lineage of David and Solomon. So whatever is being proclaimed here also goes on to his descendants. And cast into a land which they do not know, O earth, earth, earth. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. Now he has children, but he will be as one who is childless. A man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. None of them. They're never going to prosper again. The line that comes from David to Solomon through all the kings of Judah down to Jeconiah. From this point on, at the Babylonian captivity, they will never prosper on the throne again. Now, he doesn't take away the legal kingship and give it to another, like he did with Saul, right? It was plucked from Saul and given to David. The covenant is an everlasting covenant, but the seed of Jeconiah, the seed that comes from David through Solomon will never prosper again. Now, he finds favor again with Zerubbabel. Zechariah has a son, Sheatil. Sheatil, who's in exile, has a son, Zerubbabel. And if you know anything about the biblical history, Zerubbabel is the one that's responsible for bringing them back out of Babylon to rebuild the temple. And it says even in Haggai chapter 2, and verse 23, In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. So Zerubbabel finds favor, the grandson of Jeconiah, and he's made governor in Judah. But that's about it. He's a governor, he's not a king. 
And throughout all the period that follows, the Medo-Persians suppress the Israelites. Then you have Alexander the Great, and you have the Greek empires that come from him, the Seleucids, the Ptolemies, and the Jews are oppressed by them. And even when they find independence, it's with the Maccabees, the family of the Maccabees, the Levites, that are in control until you have Roman occupation. And when you come to the birth of Christ, the king is Herod, who's an Edomian. He's not even a Jew. And where are the descendants of Solomon through Jeconiah, through Zerubbabel at that time? Well, that legal kingship that comes as promised, the line is still there, but the man that receives it is not prospering as a king because it said they will never prosper as a king again. And his name is Joseph, and he's a carpenter. If you turn to Matthew chapter 1, you see a lineage at the very beginning. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he's pronounced a son of David. I invite you to join us for Sunday service at 10 a.m. at the Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane in Madison, Connecticut. Take I-95 to exit 61. Go south to Route 1, turn right, and at the next light, turn right again. We are across from the James Madison Memorial. And, as always, you can write to us at Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle, P.O. Box 518, Branford, Connecticut, 06405. Join us next time as Pastor Greg Scalzo teaches from God's Holy Word.